lines in the Bible, just a couple words that are together. And again, I loved how that told it. These guys, these are the best of Jesus' disciples. So lots of people were following him, but he goes up on this hill with his 11. There used to be 12, but one did a bad thing, and he's gone now. And so the 11 are up on the hill with him, okay? And they've seen him do all the stuff that went through in that video, right? Raise people from the dead. I mean, multiply food, walk on water, calm storms, touch lepers and have them healed, blind eyes healed, deaf ears open, all this stuff they've seen him do. They've seen him die and come back from the dead. They put their fingers in the holes in his hands from where the crucifixion marks were. They're standing in front of him. He said, I am God. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. And they worship him. Can we throw that verse on there? This is Matthew 28. There's a part here. Let's read it. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I love those three words. Can you imagine this? These guys have been with Jesus through all of this. They've seen that they're literally standing in front of the risen Savior of the world and worshiping him, and they're doubting. You know why it's so quiet in here? Because doubting's obviously sinful, isn't it? It's terrible. And we're looking at these 11 guys and judging them, aren't we? You're judging them, aren't you? I can't believe those guys are doubting. Can we park here for a second? Hold this thought. Who, who likes fire? Yeah? Kids, you like fire? I love fire. Fire is one of my favorite things. Who likes to just sit by a campfire and, and like put a stick in it? And, and, and it gets off fire a little bit, and then you pull it out, and you just like, yeah? You know what I mean? And then, and then you can like trace like the fire, and you're like, ha, 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 And then you put it back in the fire. I mean, this, I could just watch this, right? This is how it moves and the different color. But this isn't actually the fire I like. I like big fire. Who likes big fire? I mean, come on, right? I love fire. When I was a kid, kids, maybe plug your ears for the next few moments here, okay? When I was a kid, I would light lots of things on fire. You know those, you know, like there's like hairspray bottles and they have those little warning labels with like the exploding thing on them? It means it's flammable, right? We called this a, a warning label. I looked at this as an opportunity for something amazing. I would look at stuff, just bottles. I'd be like, no, no, no opportunity. No, no. Yes. Something amazing could happen with this thing. And I would just, if it was aerosol, it was the best, right? And you would hold a lighter up and you would just push the thing and fire. Again, kids, this is bad. Don't play with fire. But it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, there are times, like the garage, I don't, like back in the day, parents didn't care as much as they cared now. They just left flammable stuff everywhere. And so our garage was filled with it. And I would just like look through it, and I would just pour stuff on the ground and just light it on fire. And there's one time my parents came home, and the garage door started opening. I was burning stuff in there, and, and smoke just starts billowing out. And I'm standing there, oh, it wasn't me. One time I found some gasoline. 
Yeah, I did. A whole bunch. My dad had left it in the garage. Big mistake. This is really his fault, okay? He shouldn't have done that. He should have known better. And I took this thing of gasoline, and where we lived, I grew up in Regina, and behind our house was just a big empty field, big and empty. And I just, I called some friends, and I'm like, guys, I found gas. And they're like, we're coming over now. And then we went into the back field, and we just started burning stuff with gas. It was amazing. After the gasoline is up, we burn all the gasoline, we come back to the house, they kind of leave. And about an hour later, the police showed up at my door. Um, I opened the door, and I, of course, have forgotten that I burned it. This was an everyday occurrence for me. I wasn't guilty. This was normal. And they're like, hey, are you Danny? And I'm like, hmm, who's asking? Why? And they're like, were you burning stuff in the field behind your house? And I'm a good Christian, so I, of course, said, No. Now, don't lie, kids, but I lied to that police officer. No, it wasn't me. I wasn't burning. And he's like, we know it was you. And instantly I'm thinking, which one of my friends ratted me out? I can't believe this happened. They told the police it was me. I said, "Mm, how'd you know it was me? He said, next time you do this, don't write your name in big letters in the field and then light it on fire. Just a big Danny written across the whole field that I'd lit on fire, and it still burned in there. You know what I mean? 20 years later, Danny. (laughs) I thought, oh, smart, right? You know, sometimes when we read stuff in the Bible, it's like it's just written in the field, right? It's just plainly obvious. Here it is. Here's, Here's how you should think. Here's what you do. It's like somebody just took gasoline and burned it in the ground. And when we think about doubt... I feel like it's just that way. So, and why? There's a verse in James. Can we go to this verse? James chapter 1, starting in verse 6, and it says this. It says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Okay? When you ask God, believe, don't doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And here's what it is. Like, we read that, and it's like, if I have doubt, it's sin. And it's written in the field, just like my name was, right? Danny, just big, let doubt is bad. But sometimes we read the Bible, and we don't actually read the context of the Bible. And that's actually important, isn't it? Anybody agree with that? So this has real context to it, this verse. The verse before, verse 5, is integral to verse 6 to 8. So what does that say? Can you throw that up? It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And then it goes into verse 6, but when you ask, specifically what? When you, yes, when you ask for wisdom, believe and don't doubt. And when I think about that situation, this verse makes sense. So if I say to God, God, should I go left or should I go right? And God says, Danny, go right. And I start to go right. And then I doubt. Oh, oh, I should, maybe I should go left. Oh, but maybe I should go right. Man, no, no. And what am I? I'm like a wave, aren't I? I'm being tossed just like that verse says, doesn't it? See, it makes sense. And when I look at doubt through other verses in the Bible, actually what I find is it's 
normal. And in some cases, maybe even productive. And all my paradigms of doubting being terrible are sort of erased. As far as I can tell, and this is probably wrong because this isn't scientific in any way, but there's two kind of types of doubt, okay, for this exercise. Let's just suspend all belief in anything and just agree with me. Yes, Danny? There's only two types. There's big doubt and there's little doubt. It seems easy. So little doubt, I don't know about you, but I have little doubt all the time. Can I admit that? I'm a pastor at a church, and I have little doubts all the time. Here's what my life looks like. I wake up, I, go, I, I grab myself a coffee, and I, I sit in my living room, and I put my coffee there, and I'm in this chair, and usually the sun's shining. It wasn't this morning when I got up. It was raining, but that's okay. And I grab my Bible, and, and I do my devotions, and it's about 7.30 in the morning, and I start reading, and then I have a prayer time. And for the last number of years, probably seven years, there's been like a grace on my life. This isn't maybe normal. I don't know what it is. But honestly, for the last seven, every single morning, I have experienced God. So there's an intellectual idea where we intellectualize God and we read and we get stuff from that. But if I'm, I'm just being very serious. I'll, in my prayer time, I just put my hands like this. And I'll invite God into my living room. I'll say, God, I want to hang out with you. I try to be really non-religious in my prayers because I find the religious stuff doesn't help me much. But anyway, if you pray how you want to pray. I'm like, hey, God, can you come just hang out with me in my living room? And I feel him. Every morning I feel him. Like, I feel him in my hands. I feel him come and join me in my living room. And maybe this isn't your experience. That's okay. I'm not trying to mitigate what your experience is. For years and years, my experience was, please, God, show up. But literally, for the last seven years, maybe even more, I've experienced him. And then by 10 a.m., I have doubts. Isn't that crazy? Like, I am experiencing him every morning, and by 10 a.m., I'm like, do you even exist? You're laughing because you don't think that really pops into my head? That pops into my head. Like I could be watching a documentary that doesn't really slide in with my theology well, and at the end of it I'll be like, nope, there's no God. And what happens when I, when I, when I try to stuff that away and when I pretend it doesn't exist because I've been taught that doubt's bad, so I just reject it. And I'm just like, no, no, just, just get rid of that thought. Pretend it doesn't exist. What happens is I start off, I'm, I'm going here, I'm following the Lord, and I just angle off a little bit, which on day one isn't that bad. But if I keep down this path and I keep not kind of investigating my doubt, not talking about my doubt, not walking with it, I, I find myself way off course in my faith. As opposed to this, when I have that thought, the better thing would be to do is to examine it. Why am I having this doubt right now? What happened that made this happen? And there must be an area of my life that isn't submitted to God because I'm doubting him in this thing. And I examine, I say, God, help me because I know you're real. I'm experiencing you all the time. I love your scripture. I've seen you move in incredible ways. Like, I know you're real. So why did this happen? And then sometimes that's not good enough for me because I'm not very analytical. I like just to do stuff and not think about stuff. And so I say to my wife, hey, I had a weird doubt today. And we start talking about it. She's way smarter than me. She'll be like, I think it's because of this in your life. I'd be like, you're right. But see, that's processing, that's being vulnerable with my doubt. 
can I tell you that I think that's a very healthy thing to do? And instead of just walking off course, I bring it back and I say, God, help me. I love you. I want to be close with you. So that's that one type of doubt. That's the, that's the little doubt. We see that in Scripture. So in the book of Mark, uh, if, you, if you haven't read Mark, if, you haven't, if you're new to the Bible, Mark is like a portion of Scripture that tells the story of Jesus, one of the four books in the Bible that does that. And, and Mark, in chapter 9, we see this guy come up to Jesus, okay? His son is like sick, he's demon-possessed, and it's really bad. And they've walked it for a long time. I imagine he's got a bunch of little doubt in his life. Like, how come God doesn't heal my son? What's wrong with me? And in his culture, he would have thought it was because he had sin in his life, so he's trying to look at his life like, what's wrong with me? Why is my son like this? And he brings him to Jesus. Do you want to throw that on there? This is Mark chapter 9 and verse 21. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has the boy, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the man answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Like, this is how bad this is, okay? And then he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us if you can. Jesus says, if you can, Jesus said. I love that. I feel like Jesus is in like a a funny mood here. The guy's like, if you can do anything. And he's like, if I can. Come on, man. I'm God. If I can. And then he says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And again, all of our thoughts are, oh, there it is, Danny. You can't have doubt you got to have faith. And if you don't have faith, this boy's never getting healed. And so the man thinks that too, right? And immediately the boy's father exclaims, I do believe. And then he has a moment of honesty, doesn't he? Help me overcome my unbelief, he says. I love this. I love this. I do believe God. But actually, I don't really. Help me. Help me get through my unbelief, please. I think this is a beautiful prayer. There's so many moments in my life where I've done this. God, I believe you can do this, but if I'm honest, I don't. Help me, though. Help me overcome my unbelief. And obviously, since doubting is bad, Jesus was like, you should not have unbelief. I will never help you. No. In fact, what happens? The guy says, help me with my unbelief. And again, it doesn't say what Jesus' reaction is to this, but I assume he smiled. And he was like, yes, honesty. See, God loves honesty. And he heals this man's son. What a beautiful thing. Our little doubts, if we can just be honest about them, they'll help us direct our spiritual relationship to God. Then we have big doubts, don't we? There's the two, right? Two doubts. Little doubts. Big doubts. Anybody got big doubts? Oh, you don't want to put up your hand? That's okay. Don't do it. Don't admit those. Spat. Big doubts, I find, happen when, like, traumatic experiences, right? Like, something happens, a big thing happens, causes you to question. I kind of actually feel that's where the disciples are in Matthew 28. Remember that verse? Can we throw that back up there, the verse we started with? They worshipped him, but some doubted. Like, this seems, like, catastrophic to me. Jesus is about to leave them, to, like, say, hey, it's your chance now. Everything is dependent on you. And they're like, ah, we're doubting. Big doubt. Jesus knows they're doubting. He knows everything. And so what does he do, right? He's like, okay, God, I was going to ascend to heaven right now, but I can't do that. Do you see how terrible these people are? They're doubting. 
I got to stick around here and correct all their doubts before I leave. That's what I would have done. But what he actually does is this. It says, then Jesus came to them. They've literally, they're doubting. They're literally in doubt. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I can imagine these guys saying, oh, wait, 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 wait. You want me to disciple someone? You want me to train someone in the way to live like you've been training us, even though I don't even know if you're who you say you are? Like, I'm doubting. And he's like, yeah, I got it. Now just go do it. What a response to doubt. So I would assume most of you have walked through pain, probably big pain, to varying degrees in all our life. Life happens. Stuff happens. If you haven't yet, if you haven't gone through something big, just wait a bit. You'll get there. It'll happen. It just does. In my life, here's my story of big pain. I was, uh, I was in love. Anybody ever been in love? Yeah, you knew it would start with love. Love always takes you to big pain, doesn't it? I was in love. I met this woman, and she was beautiful and great and everything I wanted. And one day, we'd been dating for a bit, and I asked her to marry me. And by literally the grace of God, she said yes. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. We're going to get married. And five days later, she went to the doctor, and they did an MRI, and they found that she had a brain tumor. And they said, she is going to die. And doubt came. At that point, we were missionaries. We were trying to serve God, both of us. That year, in fact, my wife, who's my wife now, uh, she was going to the country of Ghana to be a missionary. And I was going to the country of Malta. And we were going to be separated for, for four or five months and then come together that summer and get married. And now the doctor literally says to her, if you go to Ghana, you will die there. You will die there. And I'll tell you what my prayer life looked like. God, why? I thought you were good. And some of you are thinking, oh, you can't say that. Can I tell you to read the Psalms? There's a Psalm. Psalm chapter 88 is about the darkest thing you'll ever read. And we think, wow, wow, okay, it's dark and it's bad and this guy's questioning God. But it'll end good because God is good and so he'll come around at the end. He does not come around at the end of Psalm 88. It's just dark, okay? And again, I think the honesty of this is, is fine with God. And my prayers were, God, why? How can you let this happen to us? We're good people. We're trying to serve you and love you. What? Who are you? I don't even know if I know you anymore. And then my wife got a doctor who found an option that they thought might help her. They said, there's only one thing we could do. There's an experimental treatment down in the States. It's in California. They've developed this thing. And if you want, I'll get you into this trial study. And if you don't do it, you're going to die Here's your only option. And so, of course, the answer is, well, I guess we'll do that. And they said, great, you can start in nine days. And I wanted to go with her down to California. So we did premarital counseling on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We got married Friday. And we hopped in a car on Sunday, and we drove to California. You're like, this guy's mental. <laughs> That's what we did. And we showed up at this place. Uh, the third day after we were married, we got to the hospital and she started treatment at the hospital. Then she went bald from treatment, which I kind of looked at as a good sign at that point, because when I go bald, she'll have sympathy. <laughs> you got to look at the bright side in some moments, right? I'm telling you, it was hard. I'm telling you, there were tears. 
I'm telling you, there was real doubt. Why? Why, God, you're good? I thought you were good. But you, this doesn't seem good. And I had all those verses, you know, the verses, the ones we pin up on the, the walls of the, on our kitchen above our doors, all these ones that say only good things will happen to you, basically. And I'm like, that. these aren't even true. You know what I heard from God? Nothing. If I'm honest with you, nothing. We moved into an apartment building. The apartment building was attached to the hospital, so everyone who lived there was patients of the hospital. They were all terminal cancer patients. They were all going to die unless this treatment by some miracle helped them. And, and everyone was in sort of the same state as us. And so every day we were in the hospital with these people. We were in the apartment with these people. And you know when you're doing life like that, it's a bit more intense. This morning if I say to you, hey, how's it going? That doesn't mean anything, right? That's high. That's how we say high in our culture. I don't want your life story. I don't care how it's going, right? The answer to that question is good. And I say good. And then we walk away. That was just a greeting. That's all it meant. When you're in this place with people who are dying, hey, how's it going is a different question. And people start talking about their pain and what's happening in their lives and real stuff. And I don't know how to respond to that because actually I'm going through the identical thing. And I'm super struggling with even the thought of who God was. But I find myself just reacting this way. I could pray for you. Do you want me to pray for you? And you know, in my, in my brain, what would happen is people would be like, why would you pray for me? You're actually just in the same place I am. What do you have to offer? And the truth is I had nothing. But people want anything. And they're like, you pray for me? Please pray for me. And we just started praying for people. And then people said, we'd love to come to your house and do more prayer times. And I said, really? Like, my prayer times exist like this. God, who are you? I don't trust you. And you want to come to my house and do that with me? And they're like, yeah. And we started a little Bible study in our house. We got a church in, in Los Angeles to give us a whole bunch of Bibles. And we just started giving it to our neighbors, inviting them over for prayer meetings, inviting them over to study the Bible. And in the next couple of months, people started coming to faith. They started getting saved. And here's what happened. She's coming to the end of her treatment. We're three, four months into it, okay? She's been in treatment every day, in the hospital every day, and it's coming to the end. And I know we're leaving this hospital and going back to Canada. But loads of people have just started a journey with the Lord. They've just come to faith. And my prayer life goes from, God, why would you let this happen? And I literally prayed this, God, we need to stay here. Look what you're doing. If you have to give me cancer so we can stay here, do it. That's literally what I prayed. And there wasn't a, like a, a thing that happened where God was like, I'm doing this for your good. It'll be great. None of that. It was just like doubt, doubt, mission with God. And now whatever you want, God, because I can see that you're good, even in the midst of this horrible thing. And it's very similar to what happened with these guys, isn't it? I doubt. And Jesus is like, good. Why don't you go on mission with me? Why don't you go disciple someone? And they're like, I don't think you get it. And he's like, I do. This will actually be really good for you. Go do it. And when they do, their doubts just sort of erased is the wrong word. I'm sure they still struggled with doubts. Do you know what I mean? I still do, even though I had that experience. 
But something happens when we're on mission with God where the focus stops being my doubt, me, things going on here, to God, where are you at work here? And it's incredible. There's a guy named Bill Johnson. Some of you heard of him. He pastors a church in Redding, California. Some of you love him probably. Some of you probably hate him. That's okay. Uh, He's a guy that I would look at that has lots of faith. He's prayed for loads of people, and they've gotten better, okay? And he's just seen miracle after miracle. Here's this quote. I really like it. He says this. It's in a book called When Heaven Invades Earth. He says, faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the presence of belief. I may not always feel that I have great faith. And this is a guy I think has great faith. But if he looks at his faith, he's like, I actually don't feel like I have great faith. But I can always obey, he says. Laying my hands on someone and praying, it's a mistake for me to ever examine my faith. I seldom find it. It's better for me to obey quickly. You have big doubt? Can I challenge you? Step out for God. It makes no sense. I I get it. But it's an area where God will just show up and meet your doubt. Can we normalize doubt conversations here? With your spouse, feel free to admit your doubts. Sometimes I doubt this. Sometimes when this happens, I have doubts. And talk about it together. Examine it. Ask each other, how do we get closer to God? Like, there's a thing here that's causing this. Why don't we figure it out and get closer to God? But us hiding and pretending, me saying, oh, 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 I always have faith. It's big. It's a lie. It's not healthy. Me standing up here and saying, I have lots of doubts, but actually my life, God has met it time and time and time again, and then I still have doubts. I think that's better. Can we get the worship team? Can they come back up? Here's what I want to do. Do you guys have a prayer team? You guys have a prayer team, Chris? I'm sure you do. Ministry team, people who want to pray with people. I mean, if anyone, Lauren Duncan could just pray for everyone because that's all they do anyway. (laughs) I'm going to invite you to the front. There's nothing special about the front at all, okay? Nothing. Nothing special about it. But if you want to come up and just say, hey, i got some doubts. Can you pray for me? Here's what's going to happen. The person praying for you is going to also have doubts. They're you. And that's okay. And together you can journey through that and find Jesus. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Whatever you guys want to play, I don't know what you want to do, but you're pros. Go for it. Can we stand together? I'm going to pray and then just invite you. Come experience God. Lord, I say honestly, there's times where I don't know. (laughs) And I know that's crazy. I know I've seen you move so many times. But if I'm honest, there's times where I feel doubt. I thank you that you're not scared of that. In fact, I can use that to get closer to you because that's what I want. I want to be close to you. I thank you that honesty is something that you're seeking. That true worship happens 
in spirit and in truth. So help me be honest. I want you, Lord. I want more of your presence. Lord, I pray for these guys. I pray for those that are really going through it, that have pain, that are just living life and it's hard and there's big stuff and it's causing real doubt. Lord, I thank you that even as Jews says, be merciful to those who doubt. So I pray as a body, we could come around those people and offer them mercy, not judgment, but just love. I thank you for that. And, and Lord, for those who have little doubts, for those who have these ones that are just pushing them off course, I pray that you give us the idea that we could be open with our doubts to our friends, to our spouses, to those we care about. Help us, Lord. We love you, Father. Amen. Go ahead, guys. If you want, if you want to pray with someone, there's people here. If you want to pray with someone beside you, that'd be even better if I'm honest with you. You're welcome to come on up. Blessings. I get lost in my mistakes What looks to me like weakness a canvas for your strength My story isn't over My story's just begun Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does
prison doors swing wide, the dead come to life. Love is on the move when the Father's in the room. Miracles take place, the cynical find faith. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Jericho walls are quaking, strongholds now are shaking. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Lay your burdens down here in the Father's house. Check your shame at the door. Cause for being here with us this morning. If you do need to stay and pray, we'll just make this place a a place of prayer this morning. If you need to chat with people, we'll just ask you to head out into the foyer. But thank you so much for being here, and thank you to Danny for uh, 